Welcome to Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain magazine podcast. I'm Tamara Rappa, founder, editor-in-chief, and your host. Join me here as we dive deep and go behind the scenes with creatives from all fields, exploring the origins for game-changing ideas and careers, and so much more. It's our expert curation of conversations with those who are pushing culture forward, and we're inviting you to get inside the story. A life's dream was realized when Abigail Cook Stone's company, Otherland Candles, was acquired in June 2023 by Curio Brands, the umbrella company behind Anthropology's famed Capri Blue Candle with a fierce following. The founder and CEO of Otherland is as passionate about candles as it gets, and her success since 2017's launch reflects that. On the podcast, she shares just how she was introduced to candles and how she went from a round of roles at Ralph Lauren to pitching her brand and starting up. Abigail explains how she gathered her research for how she was going to make her mark in an oversaturated space, creating candles that would look and feel like luxury, yet weren't too precious to burn. We get into the olfactive creative process, some little known details around candle making and manufacturing, and of course, scent. We do a deep dive into story and scent and other lands, most popular and most interesting ones. Abigail describes how a collection comes together, the one place that she gets all her best ideas, her arts immersive upbringing, talks about her own scent memories, and that it's not necessarily about replicating scent memory, but about reinterpreting it. We talk Otherland's distinct artwork and how story and rain and Otherland share a part of their brand build story. The entrepreneur lets us in on her biggest learnings. She talks trends, candle culture, me time, and plans for brand expansion. This, six obsessions, and much more. And don't forget to hook us up with a follow and a review. Our conversations with creatives continue as Story and Rain talks to Abigail Cookstone of Otherland. Hi. Hi, what a fabulous room you're in. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love it. I love a good bookshelf. That's one of your candles. It is, and it looks perfect there. It blends right in. I love it. It blends perfectly, doesn't it? I'm in a less colorful setting because this is the room with uh, the least amount of noise and most amount of carpeting. I want to start with sort of what are your favorite scents right now? What are you gravitating toward? actually I think it's 70 degrees in New York today which is so exciting and the sun just feeling it on my face as I walk through Soho you know hope hope is in the air and my mother actually used to recite this line from a P.B. Shelley poem every year around now which is oh if winter comes can spring be far behind and that is so the moment that we're in right now and so I'm gravitating towards fresh scents, spring florals and other kind of herbal vegetal scents. So extra hour, which you've got is one of my favorites for right now. So it's a shiso leaf, verbena and mint. And it is just this burst of verdant freshness. It's so nice, Um, really crisp. And then also in terms of floral, uh, canary from our garden party collection, which has daffodil, narcissus blooms, and cool cantaloupe. But the perfumer for that scent was really inspired by the color yellow and the crocuses bursting out from the concrete during the spring and those daffodils. So he would go jogging on the West Side Highway and just seeing 
that yellow color against the gray pavement. And so the scent is all about an ode to yellow and that burst of energy we really feel in the spring. I love that. You really do notice that yellow popping out of all the gray in the concrete in New York. It's such a New York City thing. Totally. Does Otherland have a best-selling candle to date? So it's a little hard because we've got the different seasonal collections. And so different things are available for different amounts of time. Periods of time. Yes. But so overall, our bestseller, all-time bestseller is Rattan, which is a gorgeous sandalwood, amber, and warm musk. That was created by a legendary perfumer, Frank Vocal. So that's a huge one for us, the, the hit of sandalwood. Um, then in the springtime, also extra hours, very popular from the Garden Party collection. Um, clean Blossom, there's definitely been a trend towards this crisp linen, um, sort of the comfort of cotton and linen and that kind of cozy freshness. So that's been another big one for us as well. So now back to the beginning, you grew up in a home where the arts were celebrated, right? Yes. What are your sharpest memories of that? My mom, she really appreciated the arts. And I, I was born as actually one of the first IVF babies. So she was 45 when I was born. I, I was her only child. So cool. And she had grand plans for me uh, in the world of, of arts. So we would go to the museum uh, you know, every other weekend, the MFA in Boston, and I would get a quarter for each artist or painting I could identify. And we had these uh, cartoon lives of the artists books that she would read to me. And then on Sundays, she would do Jackson Pollock splatter batter pancakes. And she'd let me you know, uh, whoosh the, the batter into the pan and then throw sprinkles on. So it was really, really sweet what she did and, and trying to build that early art appreciation. Did she have art in her background, in her life? No, no. She was just, just a, a lover of the arts. She worked in development. She was the chief development officer of McLean Hospital, um, Harvard Psychiatric Teaching Hospital. But in her first iteration of her career, she was a seventh grade English teacher. And so I think from that, yeah, maybe just had this, this love of so performing arts and a lot from fiction and yes, all of that. And definitely when I was, was young, she really tried to get me to learn how to have a descriptive vocabulary. So I think, um, when I was uh, three or four, I had my first cheese journal and she would get me to describe the cheeses. Oh my God. That's brilliant. That's so cute. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, at four, I would say this is more of a grilled cheese cheese or a cracker cheese, <laughs> but yeah, all, you know, all of that has come into to use in my life in the, the world of fragrance. That's right. When did you first develop an affinity for candles? Was this an early on thing for you? When was that? Yes. So my mother hated scented candles, but I had a babysitter who had scented candles. She had the ones that smell like chocolate buttercream frosting. The gourmand flavors, right? Gourmand flavors, yes. And then also there was a clean cotton one. And I just remember sinking my nose into those jars and breathing in and thinking, oh my gosh, I, I need a candle. I, I want one of these. This smells amazing. But of course, my mother said, you're a child and you absolutely cannot have a candle. <laughs> so it wasn't until 
Um, in college, I, I really wanted a candle as well, but of course you're not allowed to have them in the dorms. So it was really this first adulting moment for me when I graduated from college, got my first apartment, you know, we had the fake wall set up. I was in the dining room, uh, but I got, I got a dresser and I got my candle and I kind of made it. So do you remember what that first candle was for you? I do. It was uh, from Toka. Oh, the Toka candles. Remember them? Yeah. It's a big thing. Right. Forgot about that. Forgot that Toka had candles. Yeah. I, th- I think they still, are they still around? Yes, they are still around. I think they've been through a few different incarnations, like the, the packaging and the design system seems to have changed a number of times. I could have sworn they had like clothing at one point. Oh, they totally. Like 20 years, right? As a fashion editor, I covered Toka and they had the most amazing dresses. Yeah. They had handbags that were great that people loved, and they had a home. I had yeah. Toka bedding. Oh my god! And it was, it was so um, chic. It was so my favorite. Yeah. So back at that time when you started collecting candles and and lighting them at home, yeah. did you identify sort of then that candles were a product that could be improved upon, and what came to mind specifically? If so, did you start buying them as a consumer and sort of saying to yourself? this could be better or we could do, uh, you know, what about this? Were you starting to have those ideas hatch? So at that point, I was more just, you know, throwing myself into the world of being a candle consumer. So trying different brands, seeing what types of scents that I liked. I definitely had a phase with the Capri Blue candle, uh, Volcano, you know, Anthropology, that cobalt jar, really iconic. I was sort of smelling my way through the world of candles, um, I became aware of luxury candles and these really fresh, sophisticated scents that they had, but so prohibitively expensive. You know, I I couldn't afford one or if if I got one as a gift or, or, or bought one, I would be afraid to burn it. So it would sit there on my coffee table collecting dust, um, just saved for special occasions, like really kind of rationed. But yeah, so it wasn't until a bit later when I was in business school. And so I, I spent the early part of my career working for Ralph Lauren and then made my way to business school knowing I'd always wanted to start a business, but I wasn't sure what that big idea would be. I was also an art history major. So I felt like there's maybe a, a little bit of a gap and still said I wanted to learn more about running a business. So in business school, I worked at a venture capital fund called Founder Collective, which is an awesome consumer. Well, they do all types of investing, uh, investments like Uber and MakerBot. So at Founder Collective, we were meeting with all the direct-to-consumer companies. So the luggage companies, the dog food companies, and, and what have you. And it was then I kind of realized that I was burning candles every day. So it passed past this so-called toothbrush test of everyday use. And it just felt like there was this gap in the market. So you had those luxury brands that I mentioned on one end. So gorgeous scents, but prohibitively expensive to buy and burn daily. And then on the other end, you have the much more affordable brands, but often really focus on these the gourmand scents, like we mentioned, the pumpkin pecan waffles, like very cloyingly artificial sweet and lackluster design. So it felt like there was this white space in the middle where we could actually work with the same perfumers as the luxury brands, but do so at a much lower price um, and then also bring art into it with my art background. 
I want to get into Ralph Lauren, where Ralph Lauren plays a part in your career before we move on. Yeah. Before you went to business school, you worked for Ralph Lauren in a number of different capacities. A large part of your early influence, probably an experience, was tied to Ralph Lauren. It began with this job at in Boston's at Boston's rugby store. Can you describe what it was specifically about the world of Ralph Lauren that resonated with you? Yeah. So I remember being 16 years old, had a mouthful of braces and was walking down Newberry Street this this one day. And it was the opening of the Rugby Ralph Lawrence store. And it was outfitted like this kind of boys clubhouse gone punk. So it had the dark wood paneling, but, you know, graffiti and there were a skull and crossbones on the corduroys. And it was just such a visually immersive store experience. And you had the energy from the sales associates, these cool clothes, crazy, outrageous rugby stripes. And so I really fell in love with that creative energy. And that's what Ralph is so good at. It's creating a full lifestyle. And with each collection from the different Ralph Lauren brands, there is a full concept. You know, it could be... Um, the artist bungalow, artist by the beach in her paint splattered overalls uh, doing abstract expressionist painting, or it's uh, Le Marais, you know, woman in France and her beret, you know, whatever. There's a whole a whole story uh, behind each collection. There's a concept design team. And so that really stuck with me in the sort of these different metaphors that Ralph focuses on with each collection. And so I think I got that kind of lifestyle DNA from my my time there. He, he often compares the, the different collections to creating a film and, and that immersive kind of experience. And so um, that was really, you know, important for, for, I think, my creative training. So you would start at the rugby store in Boston, and then after college, you would then come to New York to work at Ralph Lauren Corporate which must have been so thrilling, right? After working in retail. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Prior to, but, but something shifted in terms of what you go on to work on there. Can you explain yeah. that part of your story? Absolutely. So I got my foot in the door uh, working at the, the Rugby Ralph Lauren store in Boston on Newberry Street. When I was 18 or 17 applying applying to colleges, I, I got to come to New York to open the uh, NYU Rugby Ralph Lauren store. And oh, I remember that. Yes, on University Place. It was awesome. Um, and then I, I really kept the relationship up, relationship up during college. So I worked uh, vacations and Black Fridays and uh, became a key holder at the rugby store in Natick when that opened. And then upon graduating, so I graduated in 2010 and, you know, you were lucky if you could find a job. I was able to get uh, a role in, in corporate. So I, I worked at rugby.com under the Ralph Lauren.com team. But I had this revelation moment where I think I realized fashion maybe wasn't what I was passionate about. And also perhaps on the dot-com side, I was too far removed from that product and the creative and that storytelling that I really fell in love with. My kind of early corporate dreams, I think, were crushed a bit. I had felt like I was on this ladder to become a buyer. And that was that dream. I realized that it really wasn't what I 
wanted or, or needed or was good at. How did you know after working in apparel and retail for so long, how do you recall kind of exactly what that catalyst was that made you say, you know what, I like style and I like lifestyle. I like visuals, but it's not fashion for me. Do, do you remember what that was that really made you understand that you need to go in another direction? I think that it was, it wasn't one particular moment, but I think I, you know, I kind of loved getting dressed up and, and wearing the looks, but ultimately just my heart didn't really sing there. Yeah. I stopped seeing, you know, the role that I wanted to get into next and that um, glamour kind of disappeared. I was lucky enough that I was able to switch internally. And so I I moved into the art acquisition department, which was really cool, completely different from what I had been doing at rugby.com. So the art acquisition department so buys the artwork for the stores and showrooms globally, as well as uh, the polo bar, which is actually my last project before business school. So it was really fun, very creative, all different types of projects. You know, you might have um, a home showroom uh, for global on the global scale or, or a, a big store. And so for that, maybe we're renting artwork from a fancy gallery or going to the galleries in Soho to buy photography. Or you might have the polo store in King of Prussia Mall or an outlet. And we've got a much smaller budget and there were all, all different types of things there. So that was a really great experience for me. King of Prussia is close to where I went to college. I went to Villanova. Okay. Oh, great. It's, it's interesting because a lot of people may not realize that Ralph Lauren has an art acquisition leg of the company, right? What a unique space for you to be in within a company. Yeah. Yeah. And especially to work on the polo bar, which is so visually dazzling. It's totally it's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, a really fun project. But we, you know, we at the time we were like drowning in horse <laughs> yeah. portraits. Um, so yeah. So business school. Yes. Columbia Business School. What exactly made you decide that you needed a business degree? So at that point in my life, I tried the buying and merchandising in fashion. I tried art acquisition and I did feel like I missed the business side while I was in art acquisition. I always wanted to start a company, but I just, at that time, it was, I think, very different than it is now, but I, I didn't know anyone who had started a company. I, I didn't know anyone who worked at a startup. Um, and so I started listening to podcasts about startups, and that was kind of my my first sort of peek into that world. And so I was sort of consuming as much information as I could about how to start a business. And as I learned more about business school and the business school experience, a, a big part of it is you're spending these sort of 18 months kind of figuring out what's next. You have an opportunity to really explore a lot of different things. And since I knew I wanted to make a career change and grow my network in particular, Business school is really great for that. And Columbia in particular has a really big class. It's a very international class. And so it was just a great opportunity for me to expand my education, meet a lot of really interesting people doing really interesting things and kind of get into the startup world. So it, it was a really great thing for me.
early on, you decided you wanted to own a company. You wanted to build a company. Do you know where that sort of idea may have been planted for you? As a kid, I was always starting little businesses. I had biscuits incorporated, uh, dog walking and exercising business. I had a toothbrush bracelets business where I would make these bangles out of toothbrushes. And I was just kind of always doing something like that. I think then when I really got to rugby, it was a formative moment in that rugby, even though it was a Ralph Lauren company, it was a startup within the company. And I got to see changes like, you know, they tweaked the demographic or now they're going for an older customer. Now they're going for younger and, and what have you. And that, that was really appealing and interesting to me. And so, um, I think from that, I kind of felt like I was a builder and I, I wanted to, I always wanted to start something. What would kick off Otherland for you? I was in my last semester of, of school and I was actually working on an idea for a different startup. And I just had this revelation one day. And like I mentioned, feeling like there was that hole in the market, started researching the market and realizing really how, how large it is. And you've got um, Bath and Body Works is, is the major player. I mean, $8 billion. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What Bath and Body Works has done over the years is unbelievable. It really is. And a lot of people have let that company drop off their radar and it's just been a rocket ship. I have so much respect for them. So um, really could feel the, the size of the market. There wasn't a lot of direct brand building happening. So, so many brands, they really sell through wholesale. And so their Instagram, if they had one, it would kind of look like a catalog. And so it, it felt like there was a great opportunity to do this direct brand building and add uh, the storytelling, the lifestyle context, the cultural relevance. So a candle be becomes more than just rose or grapefruit, but it's kind of this consumable experience or consumable objet d'art, multi-sensory, experiential. And yeah, at this point, I was ready to to dive in and do more market research and start putting an idea together. Can you take us through sort of how and where and with whom you began, mm -hmm. who the team is and where you are now? Yes. So the first steps were really immersing myself in the market and in people's consumption behaviors. So I made it my mission to talk to literally everyone I met from an Uber driver to person standing next to me at the bar to ask, are you a candle consumer? What are your favorite brands? How often do you burn them? And just gathering as much information as I could. And of course, also sharing, I, I have this idea, I'm thinking of starting a candle brand. I think it's really important. Don't keep that idea to yourself. Try to get, get feedback and learn as much as you possibly can. I went and I purchased as many candles as I could afford. And I tried to study what are the different types of jars, you know, tin versus glass, colored wax versus white, the wicks, the different uh, labels and designs. Um, and then I learned to make candles. So I, I turned my teeny tiny little six floor walk up kitchen into a candle laboratory. I had a candle making party once with some of my friends from business school. And I was I learned a ton. I, I made so many mistakes, things like uh, the wick has to be optimized for the diameter of the jar. 
the wax blend and the size of the molecules and the fragrance. So I, I learned all of these things and, and that really- The chemistry together. of it and the logistics yes. of putting together an actual candle, yeah. And that gave me some confidence when a step came, you know, not so far later, which is to talk to manufacturers. And so to be able to ask them about their testing, their burn testing procedures and their wax blends and what are their approaches and so forth. So learned a lot about the market, put together first, it was one pagers and I I really needed to get some buy-in for some investment. Um, I knew this was going to take some branding and design work, especially to stand out and differentiate. And so I set my eyes on Red Antler, uh, which was this legendary design agency. I had listened to a podcast of one of their founders, Emily Hayward. Which podcast was Emily on? So this was actually the Skillshare class. It was an early Skillshare class in how to design your brand. And I remember... Yeah, being at Ralph Lauren and kind of secretly listening to this. What year was this? This would have been 2013. So this is what we have in common because we worked with Red Antler too. Really? At this pretty much at the same time. Oh, wow. Amazing. I think we were working with them in 2014. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we, I started with them. Or 15. In 2016. Okay, so yeah. we were a couple of years before you. Oh my gosh. So yeah, they're the best. They're the best. They're the best. And I really came to them with, it was basically an idea on a napkin and I, you know, I made them candles and and brought them over and they said, you know, we, we like you. We're, we're not entirely sure about the candle category, but let us think on it. And so I kind of kept following up with them, building that relationship. And so what we ended up with is that they agreed to invest in other land through services. And so um, I was able to get a little bit of capital. And, and so that went into our first round of branding and a lot of the product and packaging design. So with both cash and, and equity investment. And so that was huge. Sort of prior to that, right, right after I graduated from business school, I was hauling the suitcase of candles up and down the six flights of stairs all summer, pitching, trying to get some traction. And I said, that's 60 meetings. And everyone said, no, or come back when you have a brand. Well, I need money for a brand. And so Red Antler was incredible. And they really kind of became this early co-founder before say it joined me. So from there, I got some investment once we had the branding and design work done. Uh, Sayed, who was my boyfriend at the time, I met him on the first day of business school. We were in the same group of seven out of 750. Um, we realized that Sayed and I had really complementary skill sets, and we decided he would come on as, as co-founder. So say it joined, then our first hire was someone to do social. And so we kept the team pretty, pretty lean. And then we've grown into where we are today. And now we, of course, have our direct channel. We're at Sephora, Nordstrom. We're about to launch Anthropology this upcoming week. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. So fabulous. I can't wait. Match made in heaven, right? A match made in heaven. Exactly. They're, they're such a great candle destination. I think really more than any other retailer. And so, yeah, now we have our store, our flagship store in Soho at 454 West Broadway. So our team is really expanded. When did the flagship open? It opened uh, in June. So we're coming up on 
on a year. How have I missed this? I don't know. You've got to, you've got to come by. So our, our office is upstairs and we were named the best new home store in America by House Beautiful. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Speaking about branding, you know, out of the box branding was and is the core of Otherland. You know, it, yeah. you identified this as an essential, likely why you hooked up with a red antler, right? Because yeah, I mean, they're experts at that. Totally. I know what the branding process is like at Red Antler, but did you come in with a mood board or idea of style prepared, or did you sort of walk in and let them do the whole exercise with you? Oh my gosh. I had been waiting for this moment for the kickoff meeting for probably like my, my whole life. I came in with three huge foam core boards with my Pinterest uh, images printed out and tacked up. I came with, again, that suitcase full of different candles from the market. I brought my whole matchbox collection. I, I mean, I came in with a lot of ideas and I was definitely one of those clients who wanted to be very involved and they were very gracious. <laughs> yeah. Candles in the consumer, the relationship consumers have developed with candles, I think is such an interesting one. Obviously you do too. Yeah. What have you learned in all of your years of research about candle culture? Wow. So many things. You know, a candle, it's a very emotional item. It's, it's very different from other categories. Well, there's a question, is it beauty? Is it home decor? Is it home fragrance? Is it interiors? Where it, where does it stand? And it really has this emotional component to it. I would find, for me and many other people, you know, you come home after work, you're exhausted, you plop down on the couch, you turn on the TV you light a candle, suddenly it becomes me time. And so it just has this really transformative effect. And, and also in our modern and increasingly digital, often superficial seeming lives, candle kind of functions as this antidote, this anti-technology and untechnology moment. It's, it's really even maybe the first technology is just, is just a flame. But idea of unplugging as well it it really fits in nicely and so um also sort of a fanatical consumption behavior we see with gen z and millennials and so this ritualistic daily nightly burning i think was really interesting to us but um scent is the strongest trigger of memory and emotion and so seeing how people it, it's a you know, visceral reaction, a scent it goes right to the amygdala and the hippocampus and, and the brain. And so those areas around memory and emotion. And so, you know, the product journey may start with an experience you had decades ago that is reactivated by this smelling experience. So it, it's a really interesting product category. And of course, presented some unique challenges to selling scent online, just how we launched. I will never forget the first time a candle had a real impact on me. It was when I was working at the first magazine that I worked for. And I was, yeah. I guess, I, I don't know, I was helping to style. Um, I went on a photo shoot to the photographer Brigitte Lacombe's studio. Ooh, uh -huh. And her entire space, she had lit a diptyque myrrh candle. Oh, yes. And I'll never forget how it just set such a complete mood throughout the space. 
And it was the first time a candle really had an impact on me. What, like, wow, this space smells so special. Yeah. And it's actually creating a whole vibe. I mean, it, and obviously we're in a photographer's studio. We're you know, doing something very creative and very collaborative. Right. But that smell just sort of punctuated everything. But back to your, some of your fragrances and your scents, just for the sake of the podcast, you'd mentioned a couple early on, but can you talk a little bit more about some more scents? Yeah. So we talked about it with extra hour. What about something like gloss pop? Yeah. Can talk about gloss pop and what that smells like and what, what, what inspired that candle? Yeah. So gloss pop is part of our carefree 90s collection. And actually a, a different scent in that um, one is called Dreamlight, which is uh, freesia, plush plumeria, juicy tangerine. And that is really, do you remember Gap Dream? Uh-huh. So this is a really core scent memory of me from the 90s. So going to the mall and going to the Gap and spraying all this perfume on and running back and forth and gloss pop the vision for that was kind of like, so I, I'm an only child, but I had, you know, cool babysitter or my friend's cool older sister, her lip gloss that I kind of coveted. And so having that strawberry frosted rose, hard candy scent, um, it really takes you back. And so those are very much playing on, um, again, scent is the strongest trigger of, of memory and emotion. And certainly the comfort of nostalgia and going back to this pre-internet era, I think that a lot of us have driven comfort from. Some other examples would be, we have Match Point, which smells like tennis ball, cut grass, and cucumber. So this was inspired by, um, in my Ralph Lauren journey. So as I just graduated from college, they said, do you want to come and work at the U S open uh, tennis tournament? Of course you do. Of yeah. course I do. And so I had the full, <laughs> full ball girl outfit on every day. And so this was a summer memory for me is tennis ball. So that's where match point came from. And I guess another one would be stone fruit, uh, from our beach club collection, so when I was growing up at the end of every summer, my parents and I, we would go and visit Nantucket. And on the way home, on the way to the ferry, we would stop at the historical society gift shop and get two jars of Nantucket beach plum jam. So my mom would say one is for now. And the other one she would put in the very back of the top cupboard in the kitchen and she would save it for the dead of winter. So one day in the doom and gloom of January, she would open this cabinet, get the jar out, ceremoniously uncap it, a little bit on her tongue, and the dream, the hope of summer would become real again. So we took that, that Nantucket beach plum jam and created stone fruit, which is beach plum, peach skin, and brown sugar. And I think an important note is that in the olfactive creative process, it's not about replicating or exactly duplicating that scent memory, but really reinterpreting it. And so the perfumer uh, for the scent, Clement uh, Gavary, I shared this with him and he said, ah, oh, my mother in France, when I was a child, she would make fresh peach confiture in the summers. And so stone fruit really marries these two different memories together. But it's so cool what you can do with scent and scent memories and creating these these little stories and layering yes and speaking of how your scents come together and the layered notes is it important to work with a set of different perfumers how does that work are you hiring them like sort of on a freelance basis like how does that whole thing work yeah 
you work for one for a period of time, you move on to somebody else, or is it always important to have sort of like a corral of different professionals for this? Yes. So this was a big hurdle when getting into this business. So you've got these big fragrance houses. Um, So we are fortunate to work with uh, Furmanish and Jividan. And so at the time, it was really hard to get in, though, if you were a startup, you know, they work with Tom Ford and brands like that, not um, Abigail's Unlaunched Candle Co. <laughs> and so um, it, it was definitely a big challenge to get in with them. And so for Manish, uh, they took they took a chance on us. And, you know, we we now use multiple fragrance houses, which is more typical of, of an established business that you will have a proposal that you'll share. Uh, the perfumers come back with different submissions. It depends. So, I mean, sometimes we may have a particular perfumer in mind. We work a lot with Frank Vocal, who we really love. I mentioned he's behind Rattan, Extra Hour, our holiday bestseller, Fallen Fur. He's known for Glossier U and Lolabo, Santal, also Axe Body Spray. So he's really <laughs> quite quite a range. So, yeah, so sometimes we'll have a particular vision for something but yeah. Is there total creative freedom in choosing fragrance profiles for candles or are you limited in terms of availability and things like customer demand and customer preference? Sure. I mean, it hasn't really stopped us from making some bolder decisions. You know, I can't say that those scents have been the best sellers, but uh, for instance, in the uh, Spring Awakening collection, we have Ruby Root, which is it smells it smells like beets. It's sugar beets, grass, and ginger. It's sort of like a, like a red juice that you might get from a, a juice press or something. But it's it's really beet forward. It kind of smells like dirt, but in kind of a fancy, fabulous way. We've got that. That's one scent. We also have a corn scent in the fall that I really love. Sort of sweet, milky corn. So you know, those are a little bit unusual for candles. They maybe didn't do quite as well, but they do have kind of a cult following. The people who fall in love with them, they really love them. So we've tried to I love yeah, push the limits where we can and not be afraid of something that might be maybe a little less commercially viable. You talked a little bit about trends lately. I think you talked about a trend toward like cotton and linen. Yeah. Do candle trends kind of go hand in hand with home decor trends or the two not tied together? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, yes. I mean, so we work with a different artist for every collection and we certainly look at um, home decor trends, you know, right now or for the last couple of years, there's been a lot going on with sort of shapes. You've got arches and uh, kind of the the wavy lines and that kind of thing. And so we, we definitely take all of those into account. Um, like our garden party collection, this was really, we were looking at Bridgerton and some of the cottage core. And so, yeah, we, we take all of that into account, but um, having the, the maximalist, the expressive labels and artwork, I think is really different for us. It gives us a different area where we can express the scent and the story in a way that a minimalist label can't. Have you figured out what the other land customer prefers in terms of fragrance? Is there kind of like a profile that your customer leans toward? I think they've learned to sort of like trust 
our perspective, I think there's a lot of willingness to buy a variety of scents. We About two years ago, we added a button on our site to each collection page, which is buy all six cents in a collection. And that dramatically grew our AOB. So that was a really, wow. yeah, a really cool thing to see. Very interesting. Right? Just adding that buy all six people were, were willing to and kind of experience all those different episodes of a collection. I think our customer gravitates again towards those fresh scents. So not as much of the gourmand scents. We do have a a couple in there, but they're not like syrupy sweet. They do have a layered freshness to them. There's the big love of woody scents. And especially we've done some twists off the sandalwood, but there's fall candle season, which is of course huge, but huge, huge. Yeah. So both woody and dark. Um, And then also uh, our big hit in the fall is cardamom milk, which is really cozy, frothy milk, cardamom, praline woods. Um, So that kind of lactonic, comforting coziness. You're an entrepreneur at heart. You went to business school. Is there anything that's been a surprise, a learning, something you didn't anticipate or prepare for? as you've built and grown the company? Oh my God, everything. What comes to mind when I say that? I mean, in terms of the actual product, it's amazing that you develop a product and then there is room for each individual part for something new to go wrong with each subsequent order. Right. You know, the adhesive could be completely fine for six orders. And then on the seventh, there's some little tweak in the jar paint that is now causing the adhesive to bubble. I think really learning to build in extra time to those timelines, you know, it it never ceases to amaze me that something that has gone right so many times, just it's the nature of of the beast. So um Product challenges are so you, you need product manufacturing. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> How do you get your best ideas typically? Um, it's really probably for me spending time on Instagram. I save a lot of things. Before, well, before you could save things on Instagram, I'm screenshotting things. I think I have 20,000 screenshots on my phone, just collecting little snips of things that interest me. So that, that's a big part. And obviously, art in a city filled with art. And so, um, but yeah, New York is just full of inspiration. So is there a timeline or a cadence for how candles are created? Or do you sort of have a bank of ideas that you then work through and then launch? So we've tried some different things. Definitely the seasonal launches are important. Now we're kind of moving more towards a strategy with kind of more like one-offs. So one-off thematic launches um instead of like reinventing new seasonal every year so yeah we're going to try that and and i think expand some of the offerings for our best sellers how many creative people do you have on your team everyone i would say is very creative and in a small startup you know you you've got to be and you end up wearing different hats so i mean we've got one designer but everyone is is very creative yeah knows their way like like literally everyone knows their way around uh adobe illustrator at this point myself included what is the process for vessel design like you talked a little bit about it but do you have an in-house team or do you work with a number of freelancers to create you know to put together the art and figure out color and all that stuff yeah so we work with a different artist for every collection um who's usually sourced from instagram again so um doing a deep dive there 
And then, yeah, we, we managed the process in-house and that artwork development process, which is really fun and exciting. It's one of my favorite parts. And so from that, we'll go through, you know, our PMS chips and do all of our sample colors and the different artwork iterations. Um, and that process usually takes about six weeks for artwork development um, while simultaneously the burn testing is happening and, and such. But the chemistry is, is really sophisticated for, for candles. So like we can't even, we can't do the burn testing until the jar color is determined because different colors allow different amounts of light and heat right. into the glass. And so, yeah, it's right. really complicated. <laughs> All those details. Yeah. What else is a favorite part of what you do? And what do you leave to the others? What do you focus on? And what do you say? That's not for me. That's for somebody else to handle. Um, so a big focus for for our team in the last year has really been um, TikTok. And so I guess social media, I really leave to my my team, I foresee it and I'm involved in that way, but they are so creative and have come up with so many interesting ways to sort of have this chit chat with our customers and prospective customers about the world of other land. And we just hit a really big milestone on, on TikTok. So we're, we're best in class on TikTok and we've actually we've beat Bath and Body Works and likes. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, which is really, thank you. Really exciting. And I think seeing our team really take TikTok from zero to best in class was a particularly thrilling journey. And um, TikTok is really hard and you have to iterate quickly. And I think everything I learned about Instagram, I kind of had to throw out and get comfortable with this more authentic style of content creation and just the posting. Yeah. Totally. It is. It's such a different, whole different beast. Yeah. I was wondering, is there a candle industry or community or are you all sort of distant competitors? I think of, you know, the fashion industry and how, you know, we gather, you know, at certain events all year. Sure. We were talking a little bit about Bath and Body Works. Is there a community of not not particularly? Because a lot, you know, how many independent candle brands are there? I know, tons. I mean, no, I, I don't think there's definitely a community. I think that the Fragrance Foundation has really created among perfumers, the Fragrance Houses, the brands. But yeah, I guess I'm not really calling other candle brand owners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, grabbing drinks with them, no. <laughs> do you do collaborations? Um, we, we've we done we've done some in the past, yeah. Love love a good collab. Are you going to do any more going forward? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got some ideas we're kind of working on. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, so stay tuned. But yeah, I mean, a candle is perfect for a collaboration. I love your gifting feature. I think that's so smart to offer a gifting feature. Candles with the top gift. The best gift. It's the top gift. And you have this very kind of great way of putting together a gift for somebody, right? Whether it's like one candle or a set of three. Thank you. Do you see other land expanding to include other categories? Definitely. This is really on our radar. So we're figuring out what are our best sellers, what would like people like to see those scents in, and that will be a big area for us. I can't wait to see what that is. Okay. As we wrap, I want to talk to you about the six things you're currently obsessed with from a lifestyle perspective. Okay. What is on your sixth list of obsessions? Okay. What's your top six? Amazing. Okay. So a couple of things. So right now we're loving, um, do you know body vodka? No. Okay. So body vodka is, it's a lower alcohol vodka. Interesting. Okay. I know. So 
you know, sometimes, especially like a weeknight, you know, you want a martini, but maybe you don't want all of the alcohol. And so body vodka, it doesn't have quite as much of the buzz, but it's still delicious and it's a great product. So I'm loving body vodka. So that's a new one. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Keep your eye out for, um, and it's like a lot of really great restaurants are now offering body. So that's a great one. Another kind of food related one is Haro Foods, who was uh, started by um, Umaima Sharwani. It's a product called Tarka, which is this like spiced ghee. And it is so good. I've been putting it on rice and popcorn and I just am obsessed with it. Um, it's from her, her Pakistani heritage. And so that's a really cool new food company. And so look out for Tatarka. Then in my wellness routine, I have to tell you something that has really changed my life is a morning light viewing routine, which sounds a little crazy, but I guess I sort of started this wellness journey in terms of my sleep um, when I got an aura ring a, a few years ago, but you've got, yeah, I know we love it. So, uh, and well, that's one thing with the alcohol is, I have one glass of wine and the ring knows you can see the disruption <laughs> in your sleep. I can't pull it, but it's so funny that I've, I've had a, a, a couple of really funny conversations on the podcast with people about the, the aura ring who have like named the aura ring as one of their favorite things. Yeah. Um, and it's just, everyone has that sort of same relationship with the aura ring. You kind of love it and you kind of hate it because you're like right. competing with your aura ring. It's kind of a funny thing. Anyway. Totally. Totally. So anyway, so in my sleep journey, so I now I fall asleep at 10 o'clock every night and it's amazing. And it, I think largely due in part to my morning light viewing. So I have a, it's a happy light, you know, it's by Vera, Vera Lux, but you can buy them on Amazon. You can also, now that uh, the days are getting longer, you could go outside first thing in the morning. I think you only need to do that for like 10 minutes, but you want to stare into bright light first thing in the morning. And I guess there are certain receptors on our eyes course, I'm not a scientist, but it gets your, your cortisol circuits going. And so that morning light viewing, I think has really helped me to reset my circadian rhythms. So that's helped my sleep a lot. So the light box. Congratulations. That's amazing that you, you've been able to do that. I recently had a fraxel done on my skin. And so to protect my investment, I put on uh, the dermatology, DRMTLGY um, sunscreen in the morning, but then at lunchtime, I do the super goop resetting mist. So we're trying to prevent any- Love that. Yep. Yeah. Keep the Fraxel fresh. Exactly. Love that. And then other land canary, of course, as I mentioned. I love it. That was six things. Six, so it might be seven things. Abigail, thank you so much. <laughs> this was so great to talk to you. No, thank you. 